Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting podcast. Visit our website at oalaig.org, where you will find several speaker feeds with over 800 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. The opinions expressed on the Light a Candle podcast are those of individual OA members and do not represent OA as a whole. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Alex. Hi, I'm Alex. I'm a compulsive overeater. Uh, thank you uh, to everyone who does service at this meeting and thank you to all of you. Uh, congrats to all the chip takers. Uh, happy birthday, Emma. And uh, most importantly, welcome to all the newcomers, whether you identified yourselves now or not, welcome. Um, every meeting, our primary purpose is to carry the message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. And I'm grateful that that tradition was followed in the first meeting I went to. And so uh, to all you newcomers, obviously what we always say is keep coming back. But I also want to share with you what was shared with me when I was a newcomer by a long timer at, well, she didn't share it to me, but she shared it to the meeting. I felt like she was talking to me. She said, um, the war is over and you lost and it's time to surrender. And uh, that really resonated with me. So uh, keep coming back. Sometimes, sometimes we have to get the message, you know, through osmosis, you know, you sit in a chair and you get the message through osmosis and uh, that's the best you can do. Uh, do it. Just keep coming back. Um, I'm really honored to be able to share at this meeting, particularly, uh, and I'm nervous about it. I called my sponsor beforehand and asked him or just to tell him that I was nervous. And he reminded me that it's, uh, it's my, it may be my mouth, but it's God's words. And um, that's, a, that's a goal that I have in life is to try to be as open a channel as I can for my higher power to work through me. And uh, it's been a long road to try to accomplish that. And uh, I'm nowhere near it, but uh, I'm here and I'm trying. Thank you, uh, Tara, for uh, asking me to uh, share today. Um, I have to. I. I have to be of service. I have to. I. I am a deeply self-centered son of a bitch. I don't care about any of you. <laughs> I don't want to be here. You know, I don't want to necessarily be doing anything like this. There's a lot of things I can think of that I that I would want to do, but all of those things are deeply self-centered. That's a that's a thing that I um, developed from an early age uh, as a protection um, a protection thing. I, I I heard I went to the birthday party first time I went to the birthday party. If anybody has not been to the birthday party, uh, whenever we get a chance to do that again. Um, please do yourselves a favor and go to it. It's a transformative experience, um, the OA birthday. But I heard somebody share there that they said that they didn't like to, they didn't like the phrase character traits or, or sorry, character defects. She said, I prefer to call them uh, survival survival traits. I've completely screwed it up, but you get the idea. Uh, and I, I, I really relate to that because um, all these defects that I have of selfishness, uh, procrastination, uh, um, 
trying to be a people pleaser and everything, they were all developed as an attempt to survive, you know, um, everything at the base of what I, of, of what I live my life in is, is a self-centered one. And, uh, I just want to share something that made a big difference for me. This is from the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, page 60. The first requirement is that we be convinced that any life run on self-will can hardly be a success. On that basis, we are almost always in collision with something or somebody, even though our motives are good. Most people try to live by self-propulsion. Each person is like an actor who wants to run the whole show, is forever trying to arrange the lights, the ballet, the scenery, and the rest of the players in his own way. If his arrangements would only stay put, if only people would do as he wished, the show would be great. Everybody, including himself, would be pleased. Life would be wonderful. What usually happens? The show doesn't come off very well. He begins to think life doesn't treat him right. Admitting he may be somewhat at fault, he is sure that other people are more to blame. He becomes angry, indignant, self-pitying. What is his basic trouble? Is he not really a self-seeker, even when trying to be kind? Is he not a victim of the delusion that he can wrest satisfaction and happiness out of this world if he only manages well? Our actor is self-centered. That's me. Um, I wish that uh, food was my problem. You know, if sugar and flour were my problem, then abstinence from sugar and flour would be my solution. But food is not my problem. Food is my solution to my problem. My problem is that I have a big spiritual hole inside of me. And uh, I have spent my whole life attempting to fill this hole with food and applause. And it's never, ever, ever enough. There's never enough food and there's never enough applause. I grew up in a, um, in a loving household. It was a household that was loving, but uh, it was really loud. And uh, my father was, while he was a great guy, he was a real tough guy and he was unpredictable. And I think under the circumstances, a lot of us in the home sort of just learned to kind of try to um, keep everything cool, you know? Um, I tried, I learned how to sort of read the temperature in rooms and try to adjust myself for what was gonna be best and uh, please uh, my father and please people so that everybody stays happy. And I also learned um, to go into my room and keep to myself and read and draw and uh, disappear into what I would later come to call uh, the bunker of my head. When I said before that uh, I'd rather not be here uh, it's because my disease doesn't want me to be um, in honest, loving, real contact with people. My disease wants me in the bunker. It's what I call being inside of my head. When I'm inside the bunker, um, I, am, I am reliving old uh, things that I regret. I am uh, re-litigating re old battles. I'm saying all the things that I wish I had said to that guy that I was in a fight with once. Uh, 
Um, or sometimes I'm throwing, you know, celebratory parades to my greatness in the bunker. But uh, when I'm in there, I'm absolutely no service. I'm, I'm of no use to anyone, least of all myself, and certainly not to God. Um, but when I'm here, when I'm sharing here, for whatever, opening my mouth and saying anything that might be of use, um, this is a period of time where I'm not thinking about myself, where I'm not trying to just serve my own needs. Um, that's what was the biggest surprise to me when I came to Overeaters Anonymous. Um, I'm, four, I'm uh, 53 years old. I came to OA uh, when I was 49. And I came for the same reason everybody comes. I came because I couldn't control uh, my eating. I was uh, eating you know, all day long. Um, I had uh, very long binges. Uh, most of my eating through my whole life has been done, was done in secret. Nobody has ever really seen any of my serious eating. Most of it was done in private and a lot of it was done in my car. Once I became an adult and could have a car, well then, I mean, all bets were off. That passenger seat could just be filled with uh, every kind of junk food that I can think of. And there's more times than I can remember that I'd be driving down the street, I'd stop at a place, pack up the car with that junk food. And then before I know it, it's just empty wrappers. And I don't even remember eating it. I don't remember tasting it all. It was just like pushing it into my face, you know? And um, that was how I lived my life. Um, I lived a life of anxiety and fear. Um, and I used food as a way to try to medicate that anxiety and medicate that fear. Um, and I'm really grateful that I came to OA, but it, it was a long kind of road for me. I, 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 I showed up at the first meeting and that's why I have so much um, reverence for the newcomer because uh, I was right there with you, man. I know exactly, I really remember what that was like that first meeting. And when they say that in this program, the, the, if it's not the hardest, it's one of the top hardest things to do ever in this program is to walk in the room for the first time. It's really true. But for me, the next, uh, the next hardest one uh, was asking somebody to, to sponsor me. I came to meetings. I was in this program for a whole, a solid year before I asked somebody to sponsor me. I thought I could just do it myself. I thought, all right, get, I get the, I get the gist. You're all talking about uh, this program. I think I can probably, you know, just do it myself and I'll choose an abstinence and I'll come to meetings and uh, that'll be that. I'm not going to accept uh, the God thing very much because that is not for me. Um, I'd spent most of my adult life as a, uh, as a committed atheist. And so when I came to OA, I just said, well, I'll just sort of leave that aside and I'll just uh, do the abstinence thing. And, you know, I don't need a sponsor and, and, you know, the results are predictable. I chose an abstinence at that time where I thought, I believed that uh, sugar was not really a problem for me, that my problem had to do with like bread and flour. And so uh, I choose, chose an abstinence where I wouldn't eat any of that. Uh, but then I would end up having like lunch and my lunch would be three Snickers bars. And I thought that was an abstinent lunch. And um, that went on for a while until 
a very close friend of mine and my closest uh, creative collaborator just uh, uh, died one day, suddenly just didn't wake up one day. And uh, this, this quote unquote abstinence that I had just snapped like a twig. And it really, um, I really saw in really harsh relief just how much um, I turned to food to deal with emotions and problems. Um, and I, I, I said to a, to a fellow in, the meeting, in a meeting that they said, um, I told them what was happening and, and how I felt. And this fellow said to me, um, if you wanna feel better, go to a meeting. But if you wanna get better, work the steps. And uh, I heard that and uh, I took it to heart. And then I took action on it like five months later. <laughs> I, uh, uh, I'm an addict, you know, I mean, I think, I think, I don't know if this is true of all addicts, but I, 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 I suppose it's true that as an addict, I don't like to feel bad. I'm always trying to, to, to not feel whatever it is I'm feeling. Um, whether it's social awkwardness or anxiety or fear or uh, embarrassment, regret, shame. And, um, and I would, and, and I try to escape and I escape it. I tried for so many years to escape it with food and I escape into my bunker. And um, the thing is about the bunker is um, it's all about the past or the future. That's what's happening inside that bunker. I'm either in the past, which is all about shame and regret, or I'm in the future which is all about fear and anxiety um, and expectation. I've been thinking a lot about expectation lately. Um, I think expectation is probably the number one source of frustration for me. It's, it's, it's expecting things to be a certain way and not being able to accept that the way I expect things doesn't matter that reality is what it is. Um, and when I finally got to a place where I, where I, it got so bad that I had to um, say to myself, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to finally talk to somebody. I'm going to talk to somebody about this. And at one of my first meetings, I went to a meeting here in Los Angeles called Serenity Sunday. And a guy walked up to me um, and introduced himself because I had uh, uh, raised my hand as a newcomer and uh, he was very kind and nice, and he made a point that we were both tall, so we talked about that for a second, and he gave me his phone number, and then I had that phone number in my pocket for over a year, and every once in a while, I'll just think about calling him, but then I just, I just, I couldn't, I couldn't put my ego down, is what it came down to. I, I couldn't, as a man, somehow, I couldn't uh, admit to another man that I have a problem with food in my, in the from the hyper sort of tough guy machismo uh, background that I came from it just it's not acceptable in my mind for a man to care about his weight you know I'm not supposed to care about my waist size you know and uh, it was really hard for me I would rather admit to you that I mugged an old lady at an ATM than admit to you that I, that that I'm powerless against apple fritters you know what I mean I, I, I can't, it's hard for me to um, 
say these things. But um, I just kept coming back. That's the only thing that I can feel so grateful about that I kept coming back. And finally, the about a year in, over a year, I said, today's the day I'm gonna show, I'm gonna go back to that meeting. And if that guy's there, I'm gonna ask him to sponsor me. And I showed up at the meeting and he was the lead speaker. And he gave this wonderful share as he always does. And, uh, and I took the plunge. And that's the thing in this program that uh, of all the things that I've gone through, of all the people that I've met and the, and the literature that I've read and the steps that have changed my life so dramatically, I know now that that's the moment, I can really point to it, that that was the moment of surrender, the real moment of surrender, the moment of willingness, the moment where I could actually admit that I can't do it. I am beaten, I am defeated, I'm powerless over food. Um, it's a hard place to get to sometimes, but um, when I was able to do that, when I was able to put my ego down, when I was able to admit it, then I could start the long process of looking at what my real issues are, what's really caused me to be a compulsive overeater, what's really caused me to need everybody to like me all the time. The, what I, you know, it's this spiritual hole. And um, how was I gonna? How was I gonna deal with it? When I started working the steps with uh, my sponsor, the one that that gave me the most trouble of all uh, was the third step. When we got to the third step, I put both feet on the brakes, and I just uh, I, I was not gonna accept it. Um, like I said, I you know I, I've been an adult for a while now, a long time, twenty something. I was forty nine. And, um, and I was not only an atheist, I was proud of being an atheist. I was committed to being an atheist. And I had a very close friend who uh, was also atheist that we uh, um, um, you know, connected uh, about that very much. And as I worked on the third step with my sponsor and uh, it, I was just having so much difficulty, I was sharing about it at every meeting to the point where people were just tired of hearing from me. I shared at a meeting and talked afterwards with a, with a fellow, a great fellow. And I said to him, you know, I just don't know if I can, if I can, you know, believe in a power greater than myself. And he said, well, do you believe in gravity? Do you believe gravity is a power greater than yourself? Because if you don't, I recommend you step off that tall building and see what happens. And it seems silly. It seems stupid. But honestly, that made a huge difference where I recognized some little tiny, some bit of the, of the blinders were taken off and I could see that, of course, there are powers greater than myself. Of course, that if I go to the ocean and sit at the shore, I cannot control the, the tide. I can't control the waves. I have no control over the, uh, the sun coming up and the sun coming down. I did not connect the idea that there's a lot more than that that I have no control over. And one of the things I have no control over is what people are going to think of me. I have no control over uh, the outcomes of things. I have no control over whether or not, um, you know, things that I wish for will come, you know. Uh, I, I have actions. I can take actions. Um, at, but, but when I first realized that one thing, 
about the about grab when it was when it was pointed out to me. And I went back to my sponsor. Um, my sponsor said that um, you don't need to, you know, right now you don't need to believe in a power greater than yourself. Just are you willing to believe? And when this little tiny door of willingness opened, everything in my life changed from there on. I started to see that my, um, my resistance to higher power um, was really, um, the, the fact is I, I, I had a hundred higher powers. I went to my mechanic once to, uh, that I hadn't been to my mechanic in a long time. And I walked in and my mechanic said, oh, Alex, I haven't seen you in a while. You put on so much weight. And he said that to me. And I went into a, a, a dark hole for like days. And this guy, a fellow, I shared it in a meeting and a, shell, a, a fellow said to me, he's like, sounds like you're making your mechanic your higher power. <laughs> and I thought, there's a whole lot of people I've made into my higher power. A lot of things that I've made into my higher power. The industry that I work in in Los Angeles, I've made into my higher power. Um, so it wasn't some kind of foreign idea. It was just an idea of, am I going to be in this in this pretense that I can control myself, that I can control the outcomes of things, or that I can control how I, my feelings with food, or am I going to turn this stuff over to a power greater than me? When I started thinking like that, I realized I, I started getting closer and closer, and then I got to a, a big block where I suddenly realized that um, the biggest block I was having to, to accepting a higher power was that every time I thought about it or talked about it, every time I read the word God out loud or anything, I heard my friend's voice, my, my friend who was uh, also an atheist. We went to high school together. I heard his voice in my head every time. And in my, in my head, he was mocking me. And in my head, he was making fun of me or saying, I can't believe that you're falling for this nonsense. And um, I realized that was really stopping me and that I was making him my higher power and that I was going to have to call him. And I did. And I called him and I told him what I was doing and that I, how I felt. And this guy says to me, my friend, I love you. <laughs> and I don't care what any of that stuff says. I'm here for you. And um, I was able to put that rock down and embrace the, the idea that I, I, I don't have control. I can turn the, the control, the expectation and desire for control is what has always led to all of my frustration, all of my anxiety, all of my fear, and all of my compulsive overeating. All of that pounding of every kind of food was an attempt to pack myself in. That was my, that was my thing is that I really liked to, I, I was like, I treated myself like I was a FedEx box. I would just pack myself up and up with everything as if I was trying to protect that little valuable thing inside so that it wouldn't move, you know, and it wouldn't get damaged. The problem is, in addition to doing that, it was it was insulating myself. I was insulating myself from from my friends. I was insulating myself from people I love, from my from my from from God. And it was really scary the idea of not doing that. What am I going to do if I don't do that? Because for it, it you know, the, the sugar flour combination rush may be temporary. 
but it lasted a good, you know, nine minutes. <laughs> you know, that's nine minutes. I wasn't terrified. What am I going to do if I give that up? Um, but I decided to, to, to give it a try, give it a real try, give it, a, you know, a one day at a time. And of course, what happens is if I take away the food, then all I've got left is the feelings. And as an addict, uh, I think I'm convinced in my head that however I'm feeling right now, that's the way I'm going to feel forever. Like it's never going to change. So if I get a craving for some kind of food, I think that craving is never going to go away, but it is. It just is going to require me to sit in the discomfort for a little while. It's going to require me to turn over my anxiety and my fear about this to God. And so, like I said before, with my atheist background, I still couldn't really embrace a kind of traditional uh, God. So I, I, um, I found a higher power that really worked for me. And for me, my higher power is um, a river. And um, it's not a river that I'm standing in the banks and looking at. It's a river that I'm in, that's flowing through. Um, it's flowing. It's flowing through everything and all of us. And um, it doesn't particularly care about me. It doesn't uh, wish me well. It doesn't have my back, you know? It's not, uh, uh, it's just, it just is. It's a flow of creative, loving, positive energy that is flowing. And I have a choice. I can either go with the flow or I can do what I've done for the first 49 years of my life, which was try to swim against the stream. And I spent most of my life swimming against Alex, the stream. Yes. 610 now. Thank you very much. In case you, you want to open for questions. Thank you. So um, uh, thank you very much. So to wrap up, I'm just saying that um, when I am uh, swimming against the stream, that's when I'm most frustrated. That's when I'm most uh, um, in fear and an attempt to try to control something that uh, I have no power of. But when I let go, when I uh, turn over uh, my will and let the, let the river just take me, my life's better. When I uh, remember what it says on page 417 of the big book, my life is much better. And what it says there is uh, acceptance is the answer to all my problems today. When I'm disturbed, it is because I find some person, place, thing, or situation, some fact of my life, unacceptable to me and I can have no serenity until I accept that person, place, thing, or situation as being exactly the way it's supposed to be at this moment. Nothing happens in God's world by mistake. Until I could accept my compulsive overeating, I can't stay abstinent. And until I can accept life completely on life's terms, I can't be happy. So, um, I hope that anything that I shared there is useful. I'm just trying to say that my goal in life is to try to be an open channel for uh, this flow, God's flow through me. Uh, I'm way, way, way not perfect about it. I struggle with a thousand things, uh, but for the time period that I was here talking to you, I'm not in the bunker. I'm, 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 I'm trying to be of service, and uh, that's um, that's the program, and that's that's what I'm so grateful for. Thanks for letting me share.
Thank you, Alex. Um, so we are open for questions. Please raise your blue hand on the participants page and we'll go ahead and call your name. Um, Andriette. Alex, hi, I'm Andriette, a compulsive overeater. Amazing, amazing share. Thank you so much. My question for you is, can you share a little bit of, about your daily routine that kind of connect with your higher power? Is there something you do regularly in working the steps? Yeah, thank you, Andrea. That's a great question. Thank you for, for asking. I, um, I have a spiritual practice that I do uh, every morning that, uh, <laughs> that I try to, to, to I, you know, I try to show up and uh, I, I write uh, sort of some stream of consciousness pages. I, I read from uh, For Today, the daily reader book, and then I set a timer and I write for five minutes on whatever the page was about. I, uh, I do a series of prayers, the serenity prayer, the prayer is on page 86 uh, of the big book, um, the 11th step prayer, the third step prayer. And then I specifically pray, uh, I, this is an important one, I pray for people that I have resentments towards. And even though I've done a fourth step and I do, ten, you know, things pop up and I get I get chewed up by, by a resentment towards somebody. As soon as I recognize it, I can't tell you how useful it is to pray for that person. And not, you know, pray that they get everything that they want in life, that they are given whatever it is I want, all the peace, you know. And sometimes it's hard because sometimes it's people that you're just like, I hope you get everything you deserve, you know. But it's not that. It's it's. Because the resentment is not, you know, it's the old saying, uh, if I, a resentment I have is like me drinking poison, expecting the other person to die from it. That resentment's only hurting me. And so I need to purge myself. If you have a resentment and you pray over it, um, you're not going to keep it for long. Um, so that's what I do. And then I, 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 I call my sponsor every day and I send my sponsor an inventory every day. And, uh, um, yeah, that's really, that's my, and then of course I have a lot of sponsees and I take sponsee calls. And, um, every time a sponsor calls, I look at my phone, I say, God damn it. And then I say, I answer and say, hello. And then that, those five minutes I talk to my sponsee, uh, things get better. Um, it's making myself available. Uh, it's making, you know, but, but uh, the spiritual practice in the morning is, is when I do it, my day is much better than when I don't, so. That's, I hope that answers the question. Ready, um, Bailey. Hey, Alex, thank you so much for your share. Um, we lost you, Bailey. Kathy, you may want to grab the next person and come back to Bailey if she can get back on. Okay. Um, oh, next. Oh, did you not hear my question? Sorry. No. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, still not hearing it. Okay. We'll go with Shireen. You know, the text come. Hi. Good evening. Um, 
Shireen Compulsive Overeater Bulimic. Thank you so much for your share. Um, I guess my question is, when your thoughts are just so overwhelming and you try um, so many different things to get out of your thoughts and it's still there, and you're sitting with your discomfort um, and it just doesn't lift up, what do you do? I try to do something for somebody else. That's the number one thing. Because, uh, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm always struggling with these thoughts that you're talking about. You know, they, I'm a human and an addict. So that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a constant state. But the number one thing for me is what can I do for somebody else right now? And I don't mean call somebody and say, hey, man, I'm really struggling. It's sort of calling somebody and saying, how are you? What can I do for this person? You know, um, usually it's programmed, but sometimes it doesn't have to be. Sometimes it can be. I got to get out of my head. In my head is a, is a dangerous place. And when I spend too much time in there, man, uh, that's 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 what leads me to the stuff you're talking about. And I and I've been there right with you. And um, the number one thing for me is reach out to someone else and be of service to somebody else. You know, that's the best answer I got for that. Thank you. Um, Thank you. Bailey? Would I can try again. Answer? Can you hear me? Bailey. <laughs> Thank you for your share, Alex. And thanks for your patience, everybody. Um, yeah, I'd love for you to talk a little bit about six and seven, specifically when you notice defects come up, how you find acceptance for yourself. Yeah, thanks for that question. Um, yeah, just just very recently, I was working with a sponsee on six and seven, and it it was a big you know eye opener for me, reminding me to the importance of sponsorship because uh, by working step six and seven with my sponsee, I have to go through six and seven again. You know, I have to look at that stuff, and I saw a word there that I hadn't thought about enough in a while. And that word was humility. And uh, to me, step six is, uh, step six and seven are about saying, this is, these are defects I have. And um, uh, the humility to be able to say, I'm powerless over this stuff, please uh, take them away, you know. Um, and I looked at my, I, I went back and looked at my list of character defects that I'd made years before, when I was working my sponsee. And uh, <laughs> there, there weren't too many of them that had been lifted, you know, they, they, many of them had been lifted by degrees, you know, like things were not as bad a problem. Um, things were not, but some of them were just as dogging me just as much, you know. Um, I think that whenever I face a character defect of mine, um, I think it's just about the humility of saying, um, I can't, I, I, I think I don't let it go because I still think I can control it. Like some part of me must still think that I can use this defect to control the outcome of things. That must be what I'm doing. And um, it's a struggle. I wish, I wish that I had a, a more uh, um, sage uh, response in that, but I think that 
we have to, you know, Alex, the, that's time. Thank you. Thank you. One of the people said, I'll just wrap up to say one of the newcomer, the birthday person said about, about the, the, the bottom line being honesty here. And so um, that's what I try to deal with with these things. Don't try to pretend they're not true. Be honest and, and be willing to have them removed. Thanks, Bailey. Thank you, Alex. 